I want to tell you something. God is so good. Amen. He is so awesome. Uh, Murray and I had uh, something uh, that uh, just one of those ooh-wee, slap your mama kind of blessings. Y'all ever had one of those ooh-wee, slap your mama kind of blessings? <laughs> Uh, I just want to just testify and let you know God is good because we've been believing God just to do some supernatural things in our life all the way around. And uh, the Lord uh, touched the heart, just, uh, you know, just he, he touched the heart of individuals. Cause you know, God bless you through people, right? Uh, and so he uh, says, give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. The same measure that you meet out, it'll be measured back unto you again. So, so God will touch people's hearts, and 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 there was a blessing that came our way uh, that allowed us to pay off my vehicle. Amen. Three years ahead of time. I don't know about you. Oh, you ain't got to clap. I'm on. I'll shout right now. And 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 completely unexpected. Uh, I say, we are backing up because if I'm believing God for the supernatural, why would it be unexpected when he does what I'm praying to him to do? Come on. I got to correct my own self there. If I'm looking for it, if I'm expected, come on. You know, that song was real popular one time. I'm looking for a miracle. I expect the impossible. I see the invisible. Some of y'all ain't remember that, do you? <laughs> The sky is the limit to what I can have. Believe and receive it. God will perform it today. And I, I, I'm here to tell you, Maria and I were so overwhelmed, uh, so thankful and so appreciative that God touched a man, uh, just the heart of, of, of people to sow seed into our life. And that's something that we've we've been doing for a long time, sowing in others life and God returned that seed. So I thank God. For this day, amen. That truck even drives better now. <laughs> Can I get two witnesses up in here? Look like it drives better now, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, if you got your Bibles, go to Proverbs, the 19th uh, uh, chapter, and we're going to read just verse number 21 because we've been dealing with fulfilling our purpose. Fulfilling our purpose. This text says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Let's read it one more time. You can make many plans. Let's let's make it personal. Say, I can make many plans. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. Now, I'm just going to park right there and we're going to jump back into our text. We've been talking about fulfilling our purpose. And fulfilling our purpose requires us to engage. Everybody say engage. It requires us to be equipped. Everybody say be equipped. And it certainly last but not least, the last one is the most prominent one, it, it, call, it calls for us to be empowered. Everybody say empowered. Now, go with me to Acts chapter number one, and we're going to be re- begin our reading at verse number six. Acts chapter number one, we're going to begin our reading at verse number six. Engage, equip, and empower. And I want y'all to listen to me real carefully today, because I want to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully take my time to unpack this last one, empowered. Uh, because the Holy Spirit is the empowering source. But uh, what I've discovered through my years of ministry and my time as a born again believer is that a lot of a lot of Christians uh, familiar with the person of, of the uh, of the father, uh, God, the father. And we're familiar with the person of God, the son. But a lot of Christians 
uh, or, or less or less uh, fond of, and I'm, I'm going to use the word fond of, less familiar with and, and fail to embrace the empowering work of the third person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. Uh, and some, some try to say the Holy Ghost. Everybody said Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost makes you go, oh, shut up about it now. <laughs> but, but, it's, but, but, but many of us, many of us have not embraced the power source that enables us to do the work of ministry. And look at what Jesus told his disciples, guys. Listen, listen to this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Next verse says what? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Next verse says what? After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. They could no longer see him. Now, again, uh, again, you know, there's certain um, Areas of certain denominations, uh, uh, particularly Christians, have have seen to uh, maybe sometimes err on the side of overemphasizing just uh, maybe some people all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. okay? and there's other Christians who don't talk anything about the Holy Spirit. Uh, They just talk about the father and the son. But I would tell you that the, the triune Godhead, you cannot. Amen. If you're going to be effective in kingdom building purposes, if you're going to be effective in reaching people, if you're going to be effective in reaching the lost and discipling and training the same, one thing we cannot do is, is, is leave out, amen, the part of the Godhead that God, Jesus said when he, before he ascended back up in heaven, that he was going to empower us with. Okay. And so many, many Christians have failed to actually to, to embrace the working of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's because of denominational uh, lack of uh, attention to this detail. But I want you, what I want to do as, a, as, as your pastor, as your spiritual leader, I want us to look at what the scripture says and let's examine uh, the Holy Spirit because he, he, not it, but he is the third person of the Godhead. Amen. Everybody say he's a person. All right. So God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And in order to understand the Holy Spirit, really, we must literally go back to the beginning. OK, in, in in the in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we read about the Holy Spirit hovering above creation and being an agent of creation. Let's go right. Go to Genesis chapter number one, verse one through three. Right. quick from the NLT. Let's read it. And I want you to remember the Holy Spirit was always here. He's a part of the Godhead. God, God, when God said, let us make man, us is plural, correct? Mm-hmm. All right, so it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were in the beginning. The text says in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. He says the earth was what? Was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And watch this. And the Spirit of God, everybody say Holy Ghost. The spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we have this, 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 these waters, uh, darkness all over the earth and uh, over the deep waters. And the spirit of God hovered over the darkness. 
And then God said, what? Let there be light. And then light was. The spirit then, listen to me carefully. The spirit then is God's personal presence. And the Hebrew word for spirit is transliterated. I want you to write this down. R-U-A-A, ruach. Everybody say ruach. Say it again, say ruach. It's got a little sound and they're like, you have a clear to throw ruach. Everybody say ruach. Okay, ruach. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew word ruach can mean energy or breath. Amen. And, and, and though those, you know, we talk about energy and we talk about breath, although they are invisible, both of those concepts speak of power and they speak of life. Because we just sung that song, it's your breath in my lungs. If God had not breathed into the nostrils of mankind, he would not have become a living soul. And if God were to take away, amen, your breath right now, you would not be able to live. That's one of the things that happens with COVID-19 when someone contracts that is that the difficulty in being able to breathe. Now, I don't know about anybody here, but if you've ever been swimming and, and went under the water and, and felt like you were not going to come up, man, that is the most uh, uh, scary and frightful experience when you can't breathe. Because without breath in our lungs, we're not a living soul, but God breathed in the man's nostril, he became a living soul. So Ruach means energy or breath, okay? And both of those, although they're invisible, both of those speak of power and they speak of life. Let me give you an example. For, for, for instance, uh, let's go back. The Holy Spirit has always been. If you go back to Genesis 37, chapter verse number three, let's start there. Joseph in the Old Testament was empowered by the Holy Spirit to interpret dreams. He was empowered. Everybody say empowered. Because we're talking about this last concept of fulfilling our purpose is the empowerment. This is what has been missing in our churches for decades, for centuries. Because many of us want to learn about God, but we haven't made ourselves available to be empowered by God. Are y'all listening to me today? The text says, and watch this. Now, again, the Holy Spirit empowers Joseph to be able to interpret dreams. The text says this, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. The text says, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Any of y'all got some brothers and sisters that, that, that got all with you right now? Huh? Anybody, anybody still got some sibling rivalries going on? Talking about you were mama's favorite, you was daddy's favorite, all that kind of stuff. Joseph's brothers hated him because his father, he was a son in his old age. I don't know if 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 dad was thinking, you know what, man, listen, this, this this really shows that I still got it. Come on, maybe that's why he favored him because it was it was his son in his old age. So he favored him. But the text said, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved them more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Next verse says what? One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Now watch this. The, the text says, listen to this dream, he said. It says, we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. Text says his brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Talk about his dream. 
So soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, let me, let me say something right quick. See, you can't always tell your dreams to dream killers. See, there are folks in your life that are dream killers. Every time you say what the Lord has shown you, they're like, I don't think that can happen. Ain't nobody ever did that before. Nobody from my family has graduated from college. Nobody's ever done this before. Have you ever seen anybody look like you do that or whatever? Dream killers. Everybody say, get rid of the dream killers in your life. Because there are plenty of them that are out there. I don't care who, who says what. If God gives me a directive, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't care who don't want me to do it. If God says I can, I can. So I, y'all can tell I get fired up about that, don't you? Because I'm, I'm here to tell you, I, I, I'm one who, who stands in faith and believes that God can do exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or think according to the power that works in me. And so I don't let any man put any limitation on me. If God says I can, I can. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream. The sun, moon, and even 11 stars bowed low before me. The text says this. Uh, this time he told a dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? Next verse says what? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, guess what? His father wondered. Oh, what the, I don't know what that dream means. Well, see, God, the Holy Spirit, had given Joseph these dreams. He was a dream interpreter. The Holy Spirit allowed him. Y'all know the story of how his brother sold him into slavery and how ultimately he became second in charge of all of Egypt. And guess what happened? They came and bowed down before him. See, when Holy Ghost is speaking, it will come to pass. I don't care who don't understand it. I don't care who doubts it. But if God is speaking to your spirit, listen, don't you listen to those doubters and naysayers because when the Holy Ghost speaks... He knows exactly what he's talking about. So we have this situation here where Joseph was empowered by the Holy Spirit to interpret dreams. Another person named Bezalio was empowered with wisdom, skills, and creative genius in building the tabernacle. Go to Exodus 31st chapter, verse number one. Exodus chapter 31, verse number one. See, the Holy Spirit just, just didn't come around uh, on the day of Pentecost. He's always been. It's just that a new uh, ushering in of the Holy Spirit, amen, to empower and to infill or to baptize us came on Pentecost. But he's always been because he's a part of the Godhead. Text says, then the Lord said to Moses, watch this. Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of her of the tribe of Judah. Watch this. He says, I have what? Filled him with what? With the spirit of God. Listen to what God is telling him. He says, I have filled him with the spirit of God. Watch this. Giving him great wisdom, giving him ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Watch this. Look at this. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. The text says he is skilled in, in, in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. Watch this. And I have personally appointed Oholibab, son of Ahisamah, yeah, that's the best way I can do it, of the tribe of Dan to be his assistant. Y'all don't know any better than that. All right. Move, I'm, I'm just joking. Some of y'all may do. Move, I've given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all the things I have commanded you to make. What do you command them to make? Watch this next verse. The tabernacle, the ark of the covenant, 
the ox cover, the place of atonement, all the furnishings of the tabernacle. Next verse, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all the accessories, the incense altar. The altar burnt offerings with all of its utensils, the wash basin with its sand. And next verse says, the beautifully stitched garments, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. We're going to stop right there. Guess what, guys? Listen carefully. God anointed this man by the Holy Ghost. It was the Spirit of God that enabled this craftsman to be able to build the things that was that were central to the faith of God's people as he brought them from law to grace in Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost. Everybody say the Holy Ghost was active. The Holy Ghost empowered them. Likewise, the prophets were empowered by the Holy Spirit to see what was happening in history according to God's perspective. Amen. And, 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 and tragically, God's sin has broken into our world and has rendered everyone dead in their sins and completely unable to redeem themselves. So it's into that tragic state where our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, arrives, and as he is being baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove and empowers him. Everybody say, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Ghost. Go to Matthew, the third chapter, verse number 11 with me right quick. So into this dark world, into this sinful world, the Holy Spirit is always moving. He's moved. First, we gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. He moved and gave Bezalel the ability to, to, to do craftsmanship and to construct the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and all those things that were central to the, the Jewish faith. Amen. And then now the prophets were empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak what thus said the Lord. And then now we see Jesus Christ. The text says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. This is John the Baptist talking. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now watch this. Notice this. There is no man that has ever been ordained or instructed to be able to baptize with the Holy Ghost. Man has in our churches do ordain people to baptize you with water. Like we had a baptism this, this morning. We'll show that a little, little bit later on. Thank God for those four that got baptized. Um, a married couple and one who's getting ready to get married. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Husband and wife and future husband and future wife went to the water. Thank God for that. So we, we all have been given the authority like John the Baptist to baptize, amen, with water. But none of us can baptize with the Holy Ghost. The text says this. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. Skip down to verse number 13 with him right quick. Watch this. Listen to me real carefully. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. The text says, but John tried to talk him out of it. I told you this last week. It doesn't make sense that Jesus, who knew no sin, would be baptized by John the Baptist, who, whose, whose baptism was a baptism of repentance. You repent when you've done wrong. Jesus never done any wrong. So why does he need to get baptized? Watch what happens. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. He said, so why are you coming to me? Good question, right? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Can I get a witness? He agreed to baptize him. Verse 16 and 17 says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up, 
out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God. Watch it. Here we go. The spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Text says here in, in, in the last verse, and a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly, be, dearly loved son who brings me great joy. KJV says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. See, God was well pleased with the son because the son, in obedience to what the father told him, went to John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan River. Even though he did not need to be baptized, he did it as a sign and a symbol to us that part of our confession of faith is that we get baptized after we get saved. Because baptism, guys, is an outward show that I've died to the old man. And what do we do with dead folk? We do what? We bury him. So we take them beneath the surface of the water to symbolize they're dead and buried, and we bring them back up, which symbolize they've been resurrected to new life. So guys, listen to me carefully. We got to realize that the Holy Spirit, amen, descended on Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Though Jesus is eventually crucified, the Holy Spirit continues to work by raising him from the dead and giving life to all those who follow him. Guys, to this day, the Holy Spirit is still hovering over dark places like he did in the beginning, over pointing to Jesus and transforming his people and eventually will finish the job by ushering in a new heaven and a new earth full of his love and full of his life-giving spirit. Guys, we uh, have a power source that's available to us. So if, we, if we're engaging and we are being equipped in this last section is we got to be empowered. We got to be empowered. Now, guys, in, I told you on last week in submitting to the baptism of John, Jesus lives out and displays before our eyes, guys, before our very eyes, a deep spiritual truth. The truth can be expressed in three parts. I told you on last week. Number one, the word of God does not always make sense to our human understanding. Say that with me out loud on purpose. Say the word of God does not always make sense to our human understanding. Correct? It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense all the time. When God says pray for those who despitefully use you, I told you that before. It doesn't make sense uh, in, in, in my mind to, to say forgive somebody who crossed you or did you wrong. But that's what God tells us, right? It doesn't make sense to, to, to give when you're in need, but he tells us to give and it shall be given unto you, right? When the Bible commands us things, sometimes we don't have understanding. So the, the word of God does not always make sense to our human understanding. That's why it trips some people up. Some people, because of their education, uh, can't walk in faith or they don't walk in faith because they're trying to figure God out. They're trying to use their intellect, but God's, God's way of doing things far surpasses any human intellect. So the word of God does not always make sense to our human understanding. The second thing is we are called to obey the word whether we understand all the reasons behind it or not. We're called to obey the word whether we understand all the reasons behind it or not. And that's difficult for some folks because we want to, some of us are so nosy, we want to know how God's going to do what he's going to do. 
I had no clue how God was going to pay my truck off. But, but you know what? Ahead of time, because we got to go, we, we're trying to come. But God had a way of doing that, touching, amen, amen, resources and resources pouring into my life and, 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 and allowed that to happen. I didn't see it coming. I didn't, I, I just believe in God, but I didn't see it coming that way. But he knows how to make a way out of no way. Can somebody witness to me? I need to see the hands of somebody who can say, Pastor, I know he's a way maker. Pastor, I know he's able to do exceedingly abundant above all I can ask to think. Pastor, I've seen him do it in my life. I've seen him turn a midnight situation in the day. God, Pastor, I've seen him do it before. And guess what, guys? If he did it before, he'll do it again. He's a good God. Amen. So we are called to obey that word, whether we understand the reasons behind it or not. Third thing I told you on last week was by stepping out in faith. And humbly obeying the word, we come to a deeper experience of both its truth and its power. This is critically important. By stepping out in faith and humbly obeying the word, we come to a deeper experience of both its truth and its power. Everybody say it's truth and its power. Amen. It's truth and its power. Let's go back to Acts chapter number one and look, look back at verse number six again. All right, because again, remember, when we look back, and I want to share with you, you know, in spiritual things, the pathway to understanding and truth is not by the way of human knowledge and reason, but by way of obedience. When we learn how to be obedient to the word, even when we don't understand the word, that's when we see the power of God become prevalent in our life. Amen. Some people don't ever experience the power of God because they always trying to figure God out because they think they're smarter than God. I've learned, guys, in my time traveling with the Lord, that he he works. Somebody says, you know, the Lord, he he moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plant his footstep out on the sea and he rides every stone. I, listen, he, he's mysterious. He does some stuff that just blows my mind. And I'm, I'm you know, Sharon, I I'm, I'm, stopped trying to figure him out a long time ago. I just learned how to trust him and he will provide. Can I get a witness? Now watch this. Let's get back here. The text says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore the kingdom? Now watch, guys, the disciples, again, as they gathered here, remember I told you at this point, these disciples, even at this point, were still unprepared in their ability to take over the church. I told you on last week, they were they lacked spiritual understanding. Uh, They lacked humility. Uh, they lack faith, they lack commitment, and they all lack power. Look, look at this. Here these guys are. At this point that we come to the text, they lack spiritual understanding because now what they're asking right now, you got, you got, you got to dig into the surface here and understand something. What they're asking is, when will we be able to be in charge? When will God, you restore the kingdom to Israel, our nation, where we're no longer under Roman rule and Roman oppression. We want to know when we get to be in charge. Some of these same guys, before Jesus was crucified, two of them, James and John, the sons of thunder, want to know, the mama, the mama wanted to ask the question, can my boy sit on your right hand and your left hand when you get to the kingdom? She was worried about position authority. And that's what happens a lot of times in our churches and in Christendom. People are worried about position and authority rather than doing the work of ministry. These guys lack spiritual understanding. They lack humility. They lack faith. They all lack commitment. And certainly they all lack power, the empowering source 
that, 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 that they need to be filled with in order to do this work. So they came together and Jesus promised the kingdom. Now, again, the revealing thing about this, when you look at, back at this text, look at verse number six again. Let's walk back and look at it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is a good God. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Again, the disciples were still thinking in terms of an earthly, physical Messiah, of a physical and a material rule for themselves and their nation, Israel. So Jesus, Jesus assigned the believers the great task here, in, 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 which is the great commission. Let's look at verses seven and eight right quick. Seven says what? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and the times and they are not for you to know. So let me let me say something right quick. Even though I believe with all my heart, mind and soul that we're living in the last days. I know that for a fact based off what the, the biblical prof- prophecy tells me. I don't know the day nor the hour. But I can discern the times and the seasons. I can discern that by looking at what scripture says will be transpiring in the last days. So I do believe we're living in the last day. I do believe God is doing something uh, dramatic and, and, and special during the time that we're living in right now. I believe God is trying to do a reset in the church to get our minds focused on what ministry is really all about. Because I told you before, many of us have gotten duped into thinking that that ministry is about coming on Sunday and having a Sunday school class and having a worship service and going home and coming back next week and doing the same thing. God is saying. He says he gave us a command to go and make disciples. Right. And the disciple making process has been stunted in a lot of our churches. So God is saying it's time for us to do a reset to rethink the way we do ministry. I was sharing with. Uh, a group of pastors on the call yesterday, a little seminar for a local uh, uh, district denomination for the Baptist church. And I was sharing with them uh, that, you know, ministry um, is going to look a little different than what it was prior to this. I think the mindset of people and the mindset of the church has to change in order to reach this generation that's out there that knew not the Lord, that didn't have a mama or a grandmama who brought them up in the church. So how are you going to reach people who don't who don't have that foundation or or that 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 baseline of belief uh, that most of us grew up with? How many of y'all? Let me see the hands of all those who grew up in the church. Let me see your hand right quick. You grew up in church. See a lot of most of y'all in here grew up in the church, and you 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 were not given the the uh, uh, authority. You were not given the privilege to be able to say if you were going or if you were not going. Right? How many of y'all? You know, it was not any question that you were going to church. And if you tried to get out of it, guess what? You got your tail tore up, right? Any of y'all ever got a whipping before you came to church? <laughs> That's bad. And you, you got your behind whip before you came to church and you're supposed to go and thank the Lord for a new, new day. You're like, Lord, I need a new behind. But guys, we, we, listen to me carefully. We are facing a generation that is very skeptical about the things of God. That don't believe that in the inerrancy of God's word. We even have denominations who don't believe in the in the full context of scripture properly exegeted and properly hermeneutically applied. All right. We, we have people who who don't if you talk to them about scripture, especially let me let me back up and say this right quick. As a saved person talking to somebody who's unsaved, telling them what the Bible says really doesn't have that much impact. Because they don't even believe they don't even believe the scripture. All right. 
if they don't believe, and if you're talking to somebody who professes Christ but doesn't believe the Bible, then there, there's a problem right there because God and his word are one and the same. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among men. So if you don't believe the Bible, we have a serious uh, 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 a theological problem here because the word of God is what gives us the the foundation of truth. Otherwise, your opinion is just as good as my opinion. I know there's some gray areas where where people differ on certain things, but the, but but the b- basic principles of our faith is is that Jesus Christ came, God born in the flesh, died, died born in a manger, crucified on the cross of Calvary, buried in Joseph borrowed tomb, resurrected the third day morning with all power heaven at his hand. And now we come to this point here before he goes back up into heaven. He's talking to the ones who will carry on the mission of the church. And he's saying, you guys got to be in power. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because here they are. They still thinking about kingdom life in a carnal perspective, in a worldly perspective. They want to know when you're going to restore the kingdom here on earth. Because we want our position, we want our authority. Now, guys, the, listen to me very carefully. As Jesus gives them uh, the great commission here, he says here, uh, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Three things I want you to just make note of right here. Number one, the believer's equipping power was to be the Holy Spirit. The believer's equipping power is the Holy Spirit. The believer's equipping power is what? Was to be the Holy Spirit. Once the early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit's power, they never again asked about earthly power. Here's how you can know somebody's moving with God and the Spirit of God is leading them when they're not concerned about authority in the church, but they're concerned about authority to do ministry outside of the church. If all you're concerned about is whether or not I got a position, whether or not I have a title, whether or not people call my name, then if that's all you're concerned about, you're not really about advancing kingdom business. Amen. Once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they never again asked about earthly power. So watch out for people who are always pushing to get into positions here. I'm looking for people who who are pushing to serve. I'm looking for people who who, who are pushing to know more about Christ so that when they do go out and serve and when they do go out and share and when they do go out and witness, they know what the heck they're talking about. Can I get a witness? Second thing I want you to make note of this, these these notes on the sermon uh, on the on the app. If you want to get those later, the believers task is the great task of witnessing for God. The believer's task is the great task of witnessing for God. I am convinced that many Christians have not been empowered and filled or baptized with the Holy Ghost because they have no interest in witnessing for God. They have no interest in witnessing for God. So, that, you know, why even seek a power source? But he says that the believer's task is the great task of witnessing for God. God empowers us to witness. And here's the beautiful thing. Here's the beautiful thing about witnessing, guys. You don't have to have a doctoral degree from a seminary to be able to witness. As a matter of fact, you don't have to have any learning, formal learning to witness. Witness means that I am testifying about what the Lord has done for me. And can't nobody tell it like I can tell it 
what the Lord has done for me. So all of us can share that, how he, how God has transformed our life. Third thing I want you to make note of, the believer's method. Listen to the believer's method. Jesus gives the method that the believer is to follow in his witness and spread of the gospel. Look at this. Number one, uh, the believer is to witness where he is and move progressively outward. The believer is to witness where he is. Hint, hint, in your home. Start in your home first. Why are you trying to preach to everybody else and your home is going to hell in the handbasket? Start in your home first. Listen, guys, it's very difficult. I know some pastors whose homes are torn from the floor. Marriage is, is about to disintegrate, but they're going around witnessing everybody. Else. Baby, you need to stop and get your house in order first. Hello? The believer is to witness where he is and move progressively outward. So start in your home. Start with your children, your spouse. Learning about the things of God, making sure that you've led them to a point where they can make a decision of faith. Now, here's, here's something I, I got I to gotta say this, and I'm saying it out of love. Parents, your children are your responsibility to train up spiritually. Let me say it again. Parents, it is your responsibility to train up your children in the things of God. No, you cannot make them get saved. Because they come to a point or age where they have to decide to invite Christ in their heart to save. But you can bet your bottom dollar God is holding you responsible for how you train them. Now what, what kind of stuff is it? You letting your child determine whether they come coming to youth gathering. Are they going to log on or are or, or they going to meet and be there? I don't, Mama, I don't want to go. What, what do you mean you don't want to go? You're in training. You don't get to choose if you're going to run the wind sprints or not. Hello? I, 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 I reference this all the time because it's still relevant, very prevalent in my mind. I can remember very vividly when I was playing football and we were losing a tech that, that when you came, nowadays they keep them down there all year long, but back in those days we would go home for the summer and then you would come back and you had to go through a series of, of, of physical tests to see had you been working out all summer. And then during that tour days, they had tour days and sometimes you practice three times a day. And, and, and if you were going to be a part of the team, you didn't have a choice whether or not you were going to practice. Even there are some days when you feel good, the wind is cool outside and everything's going great. The attitude is good and fun. Everybody looks like they're into it. And there are other days when you just, you just don't feel like practicing. But guess what? If you're going to be a part of the team, you don't get to choose when you're going to practice and when you don't because you're in training, right? And, and, and your child, just by virtue of them standing in your house, come on, eating your food. Can I get two witnesses? Driving the car you gave them as a teenager, come on. The car you're putting gas in, come on. The clothes that they got on their back, you bought them, come on. Is this resonating with anybody? Is this resonating with anybody? The, everything they have, they owe it to you. So they don't get to tell you, I don't want to go. They can think it, but they better not say it. Because they are in training. And you'd be surprised at, at how many parents allow a 12-year-old to run the house. Trying to be their friend. Quit trying to be their friend and be their parent. 
Let me, let me look at this camera right here. You, yeah, you, I'm talking to you. The one who allowed your little teenager, your 10-year-old, or worse yet, your 7-year-old to run the house. Stop it. You have a responsibility to train them up in the things of God. You, you need to be praying with them and talking about the things of God. If you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. They don't get to choose. If they want to choose, that's fine. Get your own place. As long as you got your own place, you can do whatever the heck you want to do. But if you're going to be in my house, as for me in my house, that's what Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm, some of y'all need to hear that. Because all this, all this modern day, no! You're in training. Here's what I discovered. When you do it the right way, when you learn how to really nurture your kids that way, even when they, they it, and all of them tend to do this, go to that rebellious stage. I'm not saying that, 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 that they're going to kick, they're going to buck, but it's what you do as a parent, how you show love. that's going to determine how they accept the things of God. Because when you teach them about God, not just a, 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 as a dictator, but teach them about the love of God and their responsibility to respond to God's love. I promise you, amen, they're going to be better off as a result of it. So, so, so the believer is to witness where he is and move progressively outward. And the believer is to see, see to it that Christ is well known throughout his home and his community before moving on. Okay. There are a lot of Christians that want to go to uh, Guatemala. And then nothing wrong with going to Guatemala. Nothing wrong with going to Ethiopia or going to Uganda or going to Europe, wherever. But why don't you just start at home first and move progressively outward? God told us to take the gospel throughout the entire world. So I believe in foreign missions and home missions. We ought to do both of them. Amen. So there's, there are needs that are local. Uh, when I say needs, I mean spiritual needs and their physical needs. But spiritual needs primarily, we got to make sure that we're doing our job. Jesus ascended back to heaven right before their eyes in verse number nine of Acts, to, uh, that first chapter. So what is the pattern? Again, we said Jesus said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, one is coming after me that's mightier than me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's the pattern that we see in Scripture? And guys, I'm, going to, I'm not going to finish this today because I, I, I want to talk about, and we're going to take a look at every passage of Scripture that deals with being baptized with the Holy Spirit, see what occurs there, and see how we can embrace the Holy Spirit works as he empowers us to do the work of ministry. Because if we're going to fulfill our purpose, you cannot effectively do that being detached from the power source. Amen. It's kind of like an electrical car. Electrical car has to, you got to plug that thing up and let it get powered up, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, you got to do it with a, with a gasoline car. You go to the, the tank, uh, you go to the service station and fill up with gas. I promise you, if your tank is empty, your car won't go. I don't care how pretty it looks. Hello, I told Maria, Maria, sometimes she has a habit of letting her car get down real low and the light comes on. And, you know, I, I'm one, I like to pump my wife's uh, gas in her car. Uh, and, and so I'll, I'll do that. But I'll tell you, I said, it's going it's to be really embarrassing when you're out on the highway one day in your Lexus. <laughs> and you had to go get a gas tank, a, a gas can to go pour gas. And I saw a young lady uh, coming up Airlines Rider that she, she let the red light, her blinkers on. And she, she went over to the station. She had to come back. She had a gas can in hand. I said, oh, poor baby, you done ran out of gas at the stop sign, at the red light. 
She ran out of gas. Your car will not run without that empowering source that comes from that from that from that field that you put in there, guys. And and listen, we won't be able to do the work of ministry the way we should do it until we are empowered by the Holy Ghost. So what is the pattern for the baptism with the Holy Spirit as found in the scripture? Number one, the word of God, the word of salvation in Christ is proclaimed. So somebody preaches the word of Christ. The word of salvation in Christ is it's Jesus made this statement, guys. This is going to sound like I'm being, um, uh, I don't know, exclusionist. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said this. I think it was in John, the 14th chapter. I am the way, the truth and the life. He says, no man comes unto the father except. By me. That's what Jesus said. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he's lying. So when you tell me, Pastor, you mean to tell me that that person over yonder who who believes in Buddha or or, or Mohammed, that that they don't know the Lord? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man can get to the father without coming through me. That's what he said. Now, either you believe that or you don't. I, I, I believe it because I know what he's done in my life. You Listen, you can't tell me what Jesus can't do because he transformed a dude like me and made me whole. So I know, I know what he's done. So he says he's the way. So the word of salvation is proclaimed. Second thing that happens, the hearer receives the word, believes, and is baptized with water. Water baptism does not in itself save you. Water baptism is the first sign of outward obedience that you have had an inward transformation. Transform on the inside, baptize on the outside. Because y'all know people that have been baptized and they just as devilish as they were before they got baptized. So baptism doesn't save you, but it is the first commandment of obedience after salvation. Y'all got that? Died to the old man. Resurrected the new man. So the hearer received the word, believes, and is baptized with water. And thirdly, the believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, that's that's the order. Hear a word, gotta get saved first. You can't get the get, you can't be baptized with the Holy Spirit without first of all receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord. You gotta be saved. And then you, you, you receive the word, believe, and be baptized with water. And then thirdly, the believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, watch this. Sometimes when you go through scripture, and we're going to look at some of these next week. Sometimes the baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs spontaneously. Sometimes through prayer and the laying on of hands. OK, y'all with me? Sometimes the baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs spontaneously. Sometimes through prayer and the laying on of hands. Sometimes it occurs after water baptism. Sometimes it occurs before water baptism. OK, sometimes after water baptism. Sometimes before water baptism, okay? Sometimes it occurs, it occurs virtually simultaneously with conversion when you get saved, all right? And sometimes after an interval of time, all right? If you look at the Bible, you see it both ways. So what am I getting at here? Because sometimes people build a doctrine on something, on one scripture verse. And you can't, that's dangerous to build a doctrine on one verse. Let scripture interpret scripture. Can I get a witness? So, so again, uh, it, it occurs virtually simultaneously with conversion, sometimes after an interval of time. So there is considerable variety within the pattern. But the one thing 
is constant in Scripture and is most important, guys. It, it is never merely assumed that a person has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Go, go, go to Luke 11, chapter, verse number 5, and look down to verse 13 with me right quick. Jesus makes it clear that we must ask for the Holy Spirit. And God won't force this experience on anyone, but he is more than ready to give it to anyone who asks. Luke chapter number 11, verse number 5. Watch this. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say, somebody said, ain't no friend coming to my house at midnight. Ain't nobody go to sleep at nine. Okay, forget that. All right. A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Watch this. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Next verse is, but I'll tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Basically what he's saying, it'd be, it'd be like somebody came and rang the doorbell at your house and you're like, I don't know who that is. You look at your camera, and yeah, that's Joe. What Joe want? This midnight, I ain't getting up and answering that doorbell. He know better than that. He know I go to bed at 10 o'clock. But Joe keeps ringing the doorbell. Ding dong, ding dong. You keep sitting there. I ain't going to answer. Ding dong, ding dong. And then because of his persistence, because he keeps on going, you're like, well, maybe something wrong. Or maybe I'm, I'm going to go to the door and cuss him out and tell him, don't come back at this time. No, you won't do that. I pray that you won't do that. But because of his persistence, you would probably get up and answer the door, wouldn't you? Most of y'all would. <laughs> but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Look at the next verse as well. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Verse number 10 says what? For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Next verse says what? You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Of course not. Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Next verse says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Those who what? Ask him. Those who ask him, okay? Jesus makes it clear we must ask for the Holy Spirit. God won't force this experience on anyone, okay? Now, the disciples, again, before Pentecost, were living behind locked doors in fear. But after they received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, guys, they turned the world upside down. Remember this. Jesus had told them, I'm going to rise from the grave after the third day. But yet they were, Sherry, in fear, locked behind closed doors. The master had told them, I'm going to rise again, but yet and still they were in fear. But guys, something happened on Pentecost. Go to Acts, the second chapter. We've got to close this thing out for the day. And I'll... Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. Hear me carefully, guys. That same transforming experience, that same dimension of power that the 
original disciples experience is available to us for Jesus still baptizes his followers with the Holy Spirit. Same transforming power. It's available for you and I. And that's the missing ingredient, the power source for the church today. Because many people don't understand it. Some have some have shied away from the Holy Spirit because there's there maybe some group in Christianity that so overemphasize it and, and get into what, what, what we think is weird stuff. All right. But the Holy Spirit is not weird. He's the third person of the Godhead. We should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was growing up, when people said the Holy Ghost, my concept of the Holy Ghost was when sister whoever shouted in church and uh, we said she got the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know what what was happening. What I don't even I'm not even trying to explain. I'm just telling you, I don't think that's really what is. That's one thing I know that's not what the Bible speaks about. when it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make you uh, slap the person next to you. Y'all remember that? You know, the ushers would run over and hold them. Come on, usher. Anybody was an usher? They had to go hold somebody who was shouting? Now, I mean, I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you, that's not the concept of the Holy Spirit that the Bible teaches. Okay? I don't, I'm not sure what that was, but it ain't what the Bible teaches. Okay? And we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches. All right? I'm not, I'm not trying. I'm, I, hope, I hope if you used to shout that way, you know, more power to you, but that ain't what the Bible teaches. That's why I want to go to the Bible. One day on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Text says what? Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were, where they were sitting. Now, remember, Jesus told them, go and wait in, in, in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, the Holy Spirit had been moving and working. I showed you in the Old Testament. In John 20 and 20, I think Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus told them to receive the Holy Spirit at that point in time, then they probably received it. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a little bit different. Every born again believer has the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in him. If you say you got the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, but there's a difference between the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and the baptism with or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's where many of us left off in our salvation campaign. We got saved. We have the abiding presence, but we didn't tap into the baptism with the Holy Spirit that gave these disciples power to turn the world upside down. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The text says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit gave them this ability, gave them the utterance. So what we're going to do next week, we're going to take a look and walk through every instance in the scripture and see if we can discover the pattern for this empowering source and see how we can if, if, if we can yield our will to God's will and tell him to fill us or to baptize us with the Holy Spirit so that we can do exactly what the early church did. It's time for the church to fulfill its purpose. It's time for you to fulfill your purpose. It's time for us to start turning this community upside down. It's time for us to have impact in, the, in, in, our, in our circle of influence, fulfilling our purpose. Every head bowed, every eye closed.